For the past eight years, there's been a ton of research on the biggest hurdle preventing women of color from advancing in leadership in the workplace. And this hurdle is the broken rung, meaning the hurdle starts at the very first step of that corporate ladder. And we are unpacking this at our What Rules Leadership Conference. It's October 25th, and we cannot wait for you to join us. Go to whatrulespodcast.com to sign up. We'll see you there. Hey everyone, we're so glad you're here. I'm Elisa Monjadas. I'm a marketing leader and executive coach. I'm Courtney Copeland, and I'm an accountability and wellness coach. And I'm Dr. Murari Simeon, an activator of talent, HR executive, author, and working mom. If you're anything like the successful multicultural women we interview on the What Rules podcast, you've learned that you can't do it alone. And we teach women like yourself to outsmart the game to get ahead in your career. We're really talking about those rules that we grew up with as women and expectations that have been placed on us. Our mission is to change the face of leadership at What Rules Podcast. As you listen to our talented guests, take note and take action. Go ahead, go and break those rules. Okay, before we dive in, there's something I I need to say to both of you slash ask. We are halfway into the year and neither of you have shared the new company that you're launching. Yes, we started Zara Consulting. It's a big deal. I guess, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's yes. celebrate you know, it maybe too. Because we've just been working so hard on what we want to do that we haven't had time to really even promote it. <laughs> I think I talked in one of the episodes about how I spent a week at Medati's house, and maybe I talked about her kids. We had so much fun. Like, if you're going to start a business, live together for a week because, oh my gosh, Medati, remember we were signing the contracts and you're like, I feel like there's more paperwork than when I got married. Yes, that is so true. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. No, I I am so excited. You know, it's interesting how things work. Who knew, Alisa, that when we created Zara, I would be going through a career transition. Like literally a few weeks after, I was like, okay, I guess we're really going all in. And that's just how the Lord works. He goes ahead and prepares the way. And now I have the opportunity to really dedicate myself to Zara Consulting. We are really looking forward to leveraging our talents, leveraging our skills, and really all the years of experience that bring us together to change the face of leadership. Yeah. And Zara, Zara is the name of our business. Zara is Hebrew for seed or new beginnings. And we want to plant the seed for new beginning to equip everyone with the tools and strategies they need to, in fact, change the face of leadership. And that's what Zara Consulting is all about. Yes, it was actually fun just even figuring out what the name would be. And for us, Zara really resonated because that's what we want to do. We want to plant the seeds with organizations, with multicultural women and their leaders so that they can be part of the world we want We want to see. Yeah, I think it's all about marrying your passion with your expertise. We're in that space right now. Like we're all passionate about organizational leadership and organizational development. And then we have the skills to bring to do that. We really can see how women can succeed in corporate leadership. And we want to 
partner alongside them along the way? There's so many other things that we can do while working with organizations. For example, we can go in and really assess the culture of our organization, their talent management practices, their succession planning practices, executive coaching, speaking engagements, workshops. There are a ton of things that actually we're experts in. And we need to do better at bringing those expertise and really helping others uh, succeed, helping organizations, helping multicultural women, and helping leaders of multicultural women succeed in this space. We're looking forward to really connecting with organizations and individuals and just really helping them change the face of leadership. This is the last part, part three of our three-part series on the broken wrong. We tackled how managers can fix the broken wrong, how employees can fix the broken wrong. And today we're focusing on organizations. Now, this is a huge systemic issue. So we're not going to solve everything today, but our goal today is to really look at the big picture and you need to know what's happening globally in your organization in order to know what part you play in it because everyone plays a role in organizational culture. Absolutely. I think organizations have a role, but as an employee in an organization, you can look to see what they're doing or even bring up to them some of the things, some of the solutions, right? So just a quick reminder before we get deep into the subject of uh, what the broken rung is, if you haven't had the opportunity to listen to episode one and two, we highly recommend it. But at the end of the day, the broken rung is the biggest obstacle women face on the path to senior leadership. And it's really at the first step of the managerial level. So the broken rung results in more women getting stuck at the entry level. And not surprisingly, men end up holding 62% of manager level positions while women hold 38%. To make matters even more troubling, multicultural women are particularly impacted by the broken rung. So here is what organizations are getting out of today's episode. Marari will cover awareness. So we're going to talk about how you can raise awareness in taking those initial steps as an organization and how to identify existing opportunities. Elisa is going to cover executive coaching and how companies can hire more people of color to help their organizations with the broken rung. And then I'm going to talk about psychological safety and the importance of that in inclusive work culture. What excites me about this episode today is that we are bringing awareness to something that many organizations do not even know it's happening. McKenzie has been doing this research for over eight years. However, their studies show that only 19% of HR leaders recognize the broken rung. This is an issue in itself because if the HR leaders, the people who are responsible for succession planning and talent development do not see this as an issue, can you imagine the rest of the organization? I have a stat from 2019, McKinsey and Company, that you are all not going to believe. There could be 1 million more women in management in corporate America if the broken rung was fixed. One million. Can you guys believe that? Wow. 
Now that is a stat that we can work towards. And that is a stat that Zara Consulting can help with. Like if I could say, like, we're going to wake up tomorrow and one million more women are going to be in corporate management. Who runs the world? (laughs) (laughs) And that's why we're here, because we recognize that this is a massive opportunity, not just to put women in the workplace, but because we know that when you have more women in leadership positions, it is beneficial for the organization, for the stakeholders, for the community, for everyone. So this is definitely a goal and the reason why we're here today. We want to get more women into management positions. We're going after that one million in the next five years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's all about like fixing the broken wrong really is getting women at that first level of management. It's not like we need to make all women VPs, just make them a manager of somebody, take them from individual contributor to manager. And that is what's going to fix the broken wrong. It seems so simple. But as you said, Miradi, if people don't know it exists, we can't fix it. You're absolutely right. Because once they're able to get to that first level and be equal, right? A hundred men getting promoted, a hundred women getting promoted, then they're able to start in an equitable place and continue to move up to get to those VP levels. And then you're building the pipeline. The pipeline is short right now because they're not being promoted at the same time. You know, in my experiences, it is critical for an organization to really understand where their talent flow pain points are. When you can really understand what those pain points are, you can then create a holistic, actionable, measurable strategy to really solve the broken rung. If you just start throwing a training here or we're going to fix the promotions here, yes, that helps. But being able to understand, is there a specific department? Is there a specific business that is having a, a bigger issue than the other? Is it the culture? Is it the job design? Is it the bias in the systems or the processes? There are so many areas that I feel the organization needs to understand first so that they can really build a strategy that will move the needle and truly change the face of leadership. Over the pandemic, I met this woman who was a senior VP of engineering, and she's Asian. And it was really interesting working with her because she had had issues moving up to a certain level in management, and she didn't know why. She just kept hitting a wall. And the company said, well, we gave you an executive coach. And what she told me was none of them got me. None of them understood me. And even though I'm not even Asian, she was Filipino or Filipina, and Even though I'm not Asian, just having another woman of color who, like, got her and got what she was facing, she said was a game changer for her. And I had never really thought about that because I think it's such a privilege when you're in leadership and someone – you get assigned an executive coach. Like, it's really awesome to have that. It is not a punishment. It's that when you get assigned an executive coach, it's usually because someone sees something in you and sees that you have potential and they bring you a coach. But I had no idea that being a multicultural woman as an executive coach 
made such a big difference until I heard that story. And then I started hearing that story over and over and over again. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that, Alisa, because in my experience in Fortune 50, it's rare that you come across a multicultural executive coach. And it is so critical. We talked about it in the previous episodes, right? It's difficult enough being a woman in corporate America. Now you can relate to her because Mm -hmm. you're also a double only, right? And you have experiences that although they might not be exactly the same, you understand what that feels like. And you also understand how to coach in that environment because you have corporate experience. I think the other opportunity for organizations is when they hire a coach, look for people who also have the experience and that are multicultural so that they can provide that coaching from different perspectives. I remember one client, a black client, she said in her testimony, I always ask afterwards, like in our six months or 12 months of working together, what was the highlight for you? And this woman said that she felt more comfortable in her own skin and she felt like she regained a new identity as a black woman in corporate America. And I thought that was just so special because we never talked about culture It never came up, but I think there was just like this mutual understanding that we had of like, we're in this together and we face things maybe that other people don't. So then what can organizations do? Organizations hire executive coaches in different levels. It's usually not like you see someone with an executive coaching website and you hire them. Usually they're part of groups because these organizations are hiring, say, 100 or more executive coaches at a time. So it's really important for the executive coaching organizations themselves to make sure they're including executive coaches of color in their, they call them coaching cadres. And then when the organization is hiring the executive coaches, they need to ask, do you have people of color in your cadre? We want to make sure that our multicultural men and women have someone of color to support them in their leadership development. I'm so glad that you used the word support because Executive coaches are also a beautiful way to invite more psychological safety into the workplace. Some people aren't fully familiar with psychological safety. So if you're wondering what does this mean, you will feel it in your work culture. It's felt permission. It's having the agency and safety that you can express your beliefs, take initiative and leadership, Also express concerns and suggestions without there being consequences, and we never want to feel like there's something held against us for trying. And that's why it's really embedded in work culture and communication. If you don't have psychological safety in your workplace, it's shocking how many people will leave a job. They will leave an organization because company culture matters. And it's something that's like unseen, you know, that felt permission. How do you know if someone has felt permission? Maybe that's a big question. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if that's rhetorical or to you. If you know the answer, Courtney, tell me. Yeah. So because it's felt, it's like, how how do I know this is present? Great question. So if you make a mistake at work, 
How does your supervisor respond? Do they engage in a conversation or do they brush you off? One situation has psychological safety, the other does not. So responses to mistakes, responses to initiative. So if I were to come to you, you're my boss, and I say, hey, I have this idea how we can expand the company, and you don't value my opinion and put it on the back burner, that's not really enforcing psychological safety. That makes me feel like I am not a valued part of this team. You don't care what I have to say. And then I don't want to contribute as much. So psychological safety really impacts performance. It's something unseen that affects performance. It's tough because I've had some people ask me, how do you measure it? Because it's unseen, that can be difficult. Honestly, if you are doing surveys within your organization, this is something that would probably be identified more through qualitative data and then go from there to see how it's impacted. A great way to measure this is to assess leadership, employee to supervisor dynamics, managerial relationships and those dynamics. And then I think a big one, a really big one here is to encourage employees to take risks. If you're in an organization and the tone is, this is how we've always done things, that does not encourage psychological safety. It's interesting because you probably all have heard of that saying, I may not remember what you said, but I will always remember how you made me feel. I was listening to you, Courtney, and that's what came to my mind. Because when you're feeling safe, you're more open to listening and really receiving the coaching or receiving the advice or whatever it may be, just being present in the conversation. But when you don't feel safe, you're constantly thinking, how can I protect myself? How can I get out of this situation? And you're not open um, psychologically. One of the things you mentioned, Courtney, was taking risks and speaking up. As a multicultural woman, that's really important, but you need to talk to a mentor and get a strategy on how to do that. Because if your environment is not psychologically safe, there are ways to address it and ways not to address it. So find a mentor, someone that's been in your shoes before, and have them really give you the tools to have those conversations. And this is where the holistic strategy comes into place, right? As an organization, to Courtney's point, how are they assessing the psychological safety, right? How are they providing those coaches or those mentors? I truly believe you need both that you need the mentor and the coach because mentors are typically people in, internally. I mean, they don't have to be, but they could be people internally or externally. But I always believe the coach is really there to take you to a different level that is safe. And they're a catalyst. They're really, truly a catalyst to getting you to wherever you want to go. The mentor does something similar, but I truly believe the coach is just at a different level. And I don't know if Alisa or Courtney, you want to explain maybe a little bit there the differences from a coach and a mentor, because I think it's critical that someone may say, hey, I have a mentor. It sounds similar, but I believe there's a difference and we'd love to hear your perspective from your experience. That's a really interesting question because this is the first year of my life that I've actually hired my own coach. I've had a million and 12 mentors. I think a coaching agreement is more results-driven. I think mentorship has less 
boundaries. There's more flexibility. It's more of an organic relationship. A coaching, coachy relationship has more of a container around it, around it. There's agreements involved. There's a contract involved. Like you two were my mentors. I certainly don't have contracts with you, at least not that I know about. (laughs) (laughs) And I think maybe the intentions are a bit different. No, I love that. And the reason why I wanted to highlight that is because I truly believe in my experience, I've seen many organizations have mentorship programs, which I believe are critical. But I also do believe having executive coaches is also as critical and should be part of the holistic strategy. So organizations that have the mentorship programs, keep them, keep going. If you don't, look about establishing one. But if you do not have multicultural executive coaches, I highly recommend it for the reasons that that you said, Courtney. For example, if you have somebody that you want to make sure that she gets promoted, that you get there in a specific amount of time, that the discovery happens quicker and the impact, it's bigger and faster, right? So I believe organizations need to understand both are needed in the equation. Something that just came to my mind, a mentor is more of a mirror or can be more of a mirror and provide knowledge. And a coach is more about taking that knowledge, taking that vision that you've developed and putting it into action. So pairing the two is really powerful. A coach still is a mirror because when you have a coach, they help you see yourself in new ways. But as you said, Courtney, they're looking at it for that solution that you're, you've both agreed on. Like, I'm helping you see what you need to see to get from point A to point B. Whereas a mentor can say, oh, this is what I see. And you can be like, oh, my gosh, how interesting. And it's just part of your personal professional development. Whereas a coach is like, no, we need to get you here. Maybe quick. (laughs) Yes. Okay, I'll give you an example of psychological safety coaching session that I just had. It was an emergency. It was a past client, and she said, I'm having issues with my supervisor. She was a director. Her supervisor was giving her goals that were lower than her abilities, and she was just about ready to give up. And so she called me, She and I was like, all right, let's just get into it. Now... If I were her mentor, I would say, OMG, tell me everything. I probably would say OMG. (laughs) But I I would say, tell me everything. And then they would tell me. I'd be like, oh, my gosh, that's so hard. I would really focus on empathizing with a person and just, like, sitting with her and being like, oh, man, have you tried this? What about this? As a coach, I kind of throw a lot of that away because I'm like, oh, we have an hour we need to get you to psychological safety. We need to figure out that strategy because you, your meeting is tomorrow and you need to know what to say. Yes. So in the coaching situation, I asked a bunch of questions to help her get into the shoes of her supervisor to see what her goals are, what she's thinking about. And we figured out how to basically translate my client's objectives into the objectives of her supervisors. And we figured out the right words for her. And in that process, just talking through it, 
my client was like, oh my gosh, like now I see it. I see the past year so differently because I'd never thought to put myself in my supervisor's shoes. And now I see why she's giving me these lower goals because I had said this and I was giving her a lot Mm. of hard truths. As a coach, I am not there to make you feel good. If your feelings get hurt, that's not my job. As a mentor like Courtney, I'm one of your mentors. I'm not going to hurt your feelings. You know, I might say, hey, this is tough or give you some tough love. But as a coach, I'm going to give it to you straight. And that is something that I personally do in my coaching contracts with my clients. I say at the very beginning before we work, one, are you okay if I call you out? Two, are you okay if I tell you the truth instead of trying to make you feel good? And three, are you okay if I interrupt you if you're going down the wrong path in this conversation? And those are the things that we agree on because, like, we have work to do. It's just a different mentality. Well, I think this is great because we're talking a lot about the psychological safety, right, in having a coach and how or a mentor and how important that is. But I also believe in working with the managers of multicultural women, because to your point, Alisa, as a coach, you can bring a truth and call out things that they may not be aware of. In addition, I believe organizations need to also focus on the development of managers of multicultural women and equipping them on how to create a psychological safety a safe environment for the multicultural women. This is something that I know we're going to cover in our leadership conference, but this is an opportunity that organizations also have. Yes, you want to look at where you're at, where are the gaps, what are, are the systems, are they the right systems? Do you have a coach? Do you have a mentor? But also, how are we creating a holistic strategy that includes the manager? It has to include the manager to create an inclusive culture at work. If it doesn't include the manager and an organization is only spending dollars on multicultural women, you are missing a big part of the equation. And that is the manager who still holds the power to promote her. And if you missed part one of our series, we talk all about managers and what managers can do. And honestly, all three parts of the series, from managers to employees to organizations fixing the broken rung, we've really just scratched the surface. There's so much more for the entire organization to grasp, to learn. This is a problem we've seen. We've documented, I should say. I'm sure it's existed a lot longer than eight years, but the research has continued for eight years and we haven't seen the needle being moved the way it needs to move. And as we said at the beginning, there's an opportunity to bring one million more women into management corporate America in the next five years if this can get fixed. So there is light at the end of the tunnel. And it's really just about equipping yourselves and your organizations because the answers are there. This isn't an unsolvable problem. I mean, I'm excited because we can actually help. Everyone plays a role in this. And we are equipped with the expertise to help you. One of those ways we can help is through our What Rules Leadership Conference. That is October 25th. If you haven't heard the announcement already, we're going to be covering everything in this series and so much more. And we cannot wait. You can join us if you go to whatrulespodcast.com. We cannot wait to see you. Yay. Yay. See you there. 
Want more advice on how to break the rules and outsmart the game to advance your career? Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, and our website, whatrulespodcast.com for more insight from our guests and hosts and join our community on LinkedIn where we discuss rule-breaking strategies for multicultural women. What Rules is a project of Zara Consulting and is supported by the amazing team at Stories Bureau. This episode was produced by Alexandra Uresta with editing and music supervision by Joshua Ramsey and was engineered and mixed by Tim Ballant. Our podcast cover was designed by Delion Creative. Visit whatrulespodcast.com for more info, upcoming events, and all episodes of What Rules, including video, and make sure to give us a follow.